Hi, I'm Abby, and this is Teach Medieval. On today's episode, I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Gordon McKelvey about the term bastard feudalism and its relevance to the Wars of the Roses. Hi, Gordon. Hello. Dr. Gordon McKelvey is a senior lecturer in medieval history at the University of Winchester, with his research focusing on the nature of political society in late medieval England. He's also recently been published in the Modern History Review with his article entitled Henry VII's Challenges, the End of the Wars of the Roses, and in History Today with his article entitled Roses of Red, both of which are linked in the description of this episode. So let's get started. Gordon, would you mind starting by just explaining exactly what makes bastard feudalism different to the sort of traditional feudalism that students are taught in year seven when studying the Norman Conquest? Okay, so straightforward feudalism or traditional feudalism was effectively the granting of land, sometimes referred to as tenure, in return for military service or other types of service. We tend to focus on the military aspects for today's service, but it could be lots of things. But really it's been used as a shorthand for other forms of service or the reward for other forms of service that wasn't land. So, for instance, we speak a lot about indentures of retainer, which were written contracts for service, sometimes quite broadly defined, in war and peace. But then there's other types of reward as well, such as annual fees or payments that we refer to as annuities, or grants of things like badges of an aristocrat's livery badge, for instance, would be a grant. So these are seen as much more temporary arrangements and in a much more kind of broader concept of good lordship which could really be anything as well. Would you be able to give a sort of brief overview of kind of who coined the term bastard feudalism and and kind of why they did that and, and when they did that? Okay so the term itself was coined by the Reverend Charles Plummer in the 19th century really as a way to explain the civil wars of the 15th century, known as the Wars of the Roses. The reason for that is that he saw the system by which nobles ran their estates and ran society and operated being different from a more pure form of feudalism a few centuries earlier, which was seen as a which was seen as putting England on the road to a democratic country more clearly. Whereas 15th century, that isn't quite what happened. So therefore he sees the system of the giving of liveries, the giving of annuities, um, good lordship, et cetera, as a bastardized form. In other words, an illegitimate form of the more pure, sorry, the purer form of feudalism that we saw in the, probably 11th and 12th and 13th centuries. 
And is pacifism a negative thing? Probably not. Um, although the term itself was coined in the 19th century, in the middle of the 20th century, another historian, K.B. McFarlane, really saw fast feudalism not as a negative thing, just as how things were done. And rather than seeing bastard in the terms of illegitimate form of feudalism, he saw it as something as similar to, but not quite the same. In other words, it fit the situation of the 14th and 15th century better than the earlier systems could have. So really it's, it's more descriptive than anything else, um, even though it probably does have some negative connotations with the phrasing, um, how historians use the phrasing is quite neutral these days. Brilliant, thank you. Um, so how did the nobility exploit bastard feudalism under Henry VI to start with? In the VI reign is that there's no assertive king really keeping an eye on everything, which itself gave a, li a little bit more space for things like the corruption of the judicial system to happen much more strongly and also things like nobles creating much larger affinities of individuals that they could use for violent um, means, particularly to um, advance their own interests, particularly in terms of land disputes. Thinking about that with the kind of private feuds, did that, how much did that kind of escalate or play a part in the start of the Wars of the Roses, would you say? It's one of these interesting debates. Um, private feuds were definitely one element in starting the Wars of the Roses, but they weren't necessarily the only element. Um, some of the concerns that the Dreadlocks had slightly different from the private feuds of the Wars of the Roses. Um, the 1450s in particular, what we see is a breakdown in effective governments. The inability to put a check on noble feuds and effectively private wars. So while these private wars themselves didn't cause the Wars of the Roses, what they tended to do was where um, they tended to influence the alignment of certain individuals. So effectively, if one noble's local enemy was supporting the Lampatians, that meant they had a, an interest in supporting Richard Duke of York and the Yorkists. So it was more uh, how things developed rather than the cause of it. In what ways did Edward IV and his kind of New Yorkist monarchy try to limit this kind of retaining and bastard feudalism? Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. At Edward IV's first parliament in 1461, an act was passed about the giving of noble livery badges. These badges, it wasn't illegal to give these badges out, but what it was, was illegal to give it out to certain individuals. In other words, the categories who a noble could give their livery badges to was restricted. The reason for this is that if you wore these badges of great lords, it was seen as giving you undue influence in things like local courts. Now, it's important to note that Edward IV wasn't the first king to pass such acts. Um, they've been getting passed since the 1390s. 
and actually there had been prosecutions during Henry's history for these offences as well. Now, the extent to which prosecutions show that a law, a law is useful is uncertain because if everyone's getting fined for something, the fines themselves might not be a deterrent. But it is one thing that he is conscious about. What he, the other big innovation in his reign comes in 1468, when another act is passed, not just about the giving of livery badges, so in other words, the visual displays of uh, Lord uh, Servant Relations, but also written agreements and actually verbal agreements as well come into the purview of the statutes. So in other words, he extends the scope of things that you can be prosecuted for and tries to limit retaining and the methods nobles could use for retaining. But it's always important to remember that these things never get banned. How successful is he then in his attempts to kind of limit the nobility in this way? Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting question and it's not always the easiest to answer. I suppose you could say he's successful in that he doesn't have the same number of significant private wars during his reign that Henry VI does. He does have some instances of quite brutal noble violence, particularly in his first reign in the 1460s. Once you get to the 1470s, there's not much in terms of significant private wars. There's always going to be some local disturbances. You would never think you could get rid of that completely from medieval society. But the scale of it is much more reduced than it had been during Henry VI's reign. And moving on, kind of bypassing Richard III, unfortunately, but uh, in what ways did Henry VII try to limit retaining? In many ways, Henry VII isn't that much different from Edward IV. Um, but the one thing to always remember about Henry VII is that he was very much a medieval monarch and no one had told him that when he wins the Battle of Bosworth, he um, ended the Middle Ages in England. Um, actually, for a, a, he does pass several acts during his reign. Probably the most famous is in 1504, which, again, extends... The legislation of people like Edward IV and before. However, he also brings in a new innovation, which is licensed retainers. Now, what this actually means is if you're one of the king's favourites, you can retain much more people than other nobles are through the statutes. In other words, you can retain an extra hundred people beyond those that the law would normally allow you to retain. Um, so he's very much keen to keep the system going, but he's keen to keep the system going for his own benefit more than anything else. Thank you so much for that overview of Basil Feudalism and its relevance to Wizard Rose Gordon. I've been Abby and this is Teach Medieval. <laughs>